Hello, I'm Rob Beckett. And I'm Josh Whittacombe. Welcome to Parents in Hell, the show in which Josh and I discuss what it's really like to be a parent which I would say can be a little tricky. So, to make ourselves, and hopefully you, feel better about the trials and tribulations of modern-day parenting, each week we'll be chatting to a famous parent about how they're coping. Or hopefully how they're not coping. And we'll also be hearing from you, the listener, with your tips, advice, and, of course, tales of parenting woe. Because, let's be honest, there are plenty of times when none of us know what we're doing. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain, Sierra says, save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat-up old running shoes, Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery, well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! Hello, you're listening to Parent in Hell with... Hey, Charlie, can you say Rob Beckett? Rob Beckett. And Josh Widdicombe. Josh Widdicombe. <laughs> Josh Widdicombe. How about me? Okay, can you say Rob Beckett? Rob Beckett. And Josh Widdicombe. Rob Widdicombe. <laughs> Real nice, guys. Real nice. Real nice, guys. That was a good one, wasn't it? It sounded Welsh. Were they Welsh? Uh, well, he's pretty cool, wasn't he? He, he had quite a sexy voice. High oh, relatable, mate. sexy Rob and Josh. He's in Dubai, so it's difficult to know. Here is Charlie, 29 months, and his big sister Clara, 67 months, introducing your names to the podcast. We're all big fans, although their mother doesn't like them hearing any swear words. So we have to listen in secret during school runs. Otherwise, it keeps me going while running throughout the year, including in the peak of summer in Dubai, you absolute psycho, James. Um, oh, one thing we do talk about in this episode before we start chatting about other things, um, we talked to Alistair Campbell and we do talk about um, addiction and alcoholism. So a little trigger warning about yeah. that. So I've got a couple of things to talk to you about, Josh. Yeah. I've realised that I've been to, I'd probably say about th- 30 church halls in the last seven years near my house for different parties. And I've become, I feel like I've become a bit of an expert on church halls. Oh yeah, talk me through I've just got a lot of opinions on church halls because... Go on, what's a, what makes a good or a bad church well, hall? Well, you don't know you're in a good one until you get in one. And you realise... They've always said it. There's a, this, they spend a bit of money on this one. This one's nice. The cage... They've done it, they've got a good collection play going around <laughs> exactly. here. Exactly, they? they've got a big donor. Someone lives around here. Someone who lives around here, a bit of money, loves the church. <laughs> yeah. 
someone's worried about going to heaven round here. A millionaire's worried that a rich man can't get into heaven. <laughs> and they've got like aircon on the wall. I tell you what, I, I, I do like to see now and again, the caged radiator. Oh, yeah. The, yeah. You see a caged That's radiator. You see them sort of is that? school tables that fold down and get stacked. Chairs that stack on each other. The V-mop. The V-mop, yeah. Why Why are they caging their radiators in churches? To stop children touching them and burning their hands, but I never got oh, it because then the yeah. metal on the cage gets hot. So yeah. they've just made it bigger and hotter. Yeah, exactly. Or is it to stop so, people turning the temperature up and down so it doesn't get too expensive? Oh, They maybe. sometimes do that, you know, do landlords do you know would turn that. it up? Rose. Does she have it too hot? She, I turned the heating off, Rob. Yeah. Oh, what, for summer? Because it's May. Yeah, because it's mm. May. Because it was fucking boiling. <laughs> There was a radiator on in my room last night, Rob. Overnight? When I, what, about 7pm. You don't need radiators on. She's not even here, Rob. She's <laughs> she scheduled it. <laughs> on the nest, you got a nest? Or one of We've them? got a uh, hive. Hive. <laughs> I, do you know what I love more than anything? Is when a new invention comes out that's not fully patented, like, you know, Dyson sort of just were in charge of that for a bit. But there's inventions that come out that everyone goes, oh, yeah, that's quite good, actually. Just a little sort of smart heater thing. And they go, oh, but that one's yeah. called the nest. What should we call it? What's like a nest, but different? Mm, <laughs> hive. <laughs> what about the mound? <laughs> anyway, ch yeah, church halls. I've realised I've been in a lot of church halls. That's what I was talking about. Um, oh, yeah. And, oh, the other thing. So, two things. Gabby Roslin left me a voice note. Do you want to hear it? Yeah. Here we go. Listen to this. It was quite a fun... A random thing. Me and Gabby Rosin go way back. She, I used to do a radio show when she got me on to do like little comedy bits years and years ago. Yeah. And I remember she comes to my first Hammersmith Apollo gig and she was sort of oh. like the, the main, well, only celebrity was there. And it was just all my friends and family. And my mates went, Why is Gabby Roslin here? Because <laughs> <laughs> if it's like someone from comedy, they'll sort of get, get the link. But I was like, Why? No, she came to my Leicester Square gig years ago. Oh, wait, I love, she? She loved, she's so lovely. She's been on the show, hasn't she? Listen to this. I've just got off the tube and there was a guy on the tube pretending to be you and giving everybody autographs and it wasn't you you weren't on the tube right now at Piccadilly Circus it was hysterical and everyone was going and he even had your voice he was doing autographs I had to put up my stories because it made me laugh so much anyway I hope you're well my darling lots of love lots of love lots of love I haven't seen you for far too long big kisses Oh, Gabby Rosin. That I love Gabby Rosin. That is so good. So did, was it, is it on our stories now? Um, it might have gone now. It, was, it wasn't. She didn't film the guy. Um, but if you are a tube user and you've come across a man pretending to be me, can you let us know? Try and take a photo. Yeah. We'll try and track this guy down. We need down. to know who this guy is. Because often there's this thing where people get impersonated on Instagram, but... Not in real life. a guy go, in real life, being Beckett. <laughs> Blimey. But just like, but no, but it's not great for me, is it though? Is it because if he because Gabby Rosley knows me, she's met me, and she and still wasn't a hundred percent. No, she was like, was it you? Because it sounded like you. Because she might have thought I was having some sort of episode where I like ignored her and just was going up to people and getting photos. But if people are having photos, they must have thought it was me. So there are people that think I go on the tube and ask people if they want autographs. Yeah. yeah. Which is not a great look PR-wise, no, is it? No, it's not ideal. And do you know, mm. now, I say this as a huge fan of Gabby Roslin, Rob. Oh, yeah. You, sure, you're aware of that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I'm a huge respecter of all of her work. Yep. And I think she's great. Go on. But it's, it's a bad sign, isn't it, for the fickleness of showbiz mm. when you're sat on a tube train as Gabby Roslin. Yeah. Not only are people ignoring you, but they're ignoring you in favour of a lookalike. <laughs> 
of someone who's currently more on the TV. Yes, but I imagine Gabby Rosson, who's a very lovely, normal person, would be on it's the keeping tube. Keeping your head down. Head down, he- headphones yeah. in, just getting yeah, on yeah, with the yeah, day. Yeah. So, yeah. It, I would argue... Not like old fake Bobby Beckett, who's walking <laughs> oh. on. Oi, oi! Here he is, old Rod <laughs> Beckon. Rod Beckon. <laughs> he's bowling around. Having photos, so I think I imagine people were going, Is that Gabby Rosin? But they were far too concerned by the man pretending to be me shouting, Oh, mate, do you want a photo? Yeah, and do you know what? Of all the of all the comedians that people could imagine doing that, the problem is you are probably high near the top of the list. Yeah, yeah it's, and that annoys me actually, because I think yeah. people do people come up and talk to me if I'm sat on my own as if like I'm scared and lonely and I'll be glad of it. And yeah, I they don't think mind you, they chat. think you're mate. That's the problem with your your public image, Rob. You are prime approaching the street. No one's doing that with Dylan Moran. No, or Jack, Jack D and Romesh. They don't. Yeah. They obviously don't recognise him, but they leave him alone because they think they'll be told to piss off. Yeah. Where I look like I'd be glad of it. Yeah, but exactly. I'm quite happy to be sat on my own. We haven't mentioned this though, Josh. Oh yeah. After the O2 gig, and this was the last time we talk about the tour. After the gig, my father and mother-in-law came down backstage to say goodbye. Oh, yeah. And we need to put this this? picture on Instagram. You were wearing a black and brownie beige striped top, horizontal stripes. Yeah. Yeah. My mother-in-law was wearing a black and brownie beige horizontal striped top. Astonishing, yeah. Exactly the same. And actually the same thickness of stripe. Yeah. Not only she's was it the same colour. well-dressed woman. Lovely, well-dressed lovely woman. dress. Very well turned out is, is old Teresa. And then um, then I we were laughing at that, that you had the same tops on. Then Rose came along, your wife, and then Michael, Teresa's husband, and they were both wearing the exact same colour, sort of orange, bright orangey coat. Yeah. And, and it was is, hilarious. And it the was hilarious. Was amazing. A of us. We're loving it. Theresa, not so much enjoying the I'd photo. I'd say Theresa and Mark are a bit more anxious about the photo where you and Rose are having the time of your life. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was it was so funny. Theresa that... and Michael not on a high from having played the O2 maybe, whereas I'm still riding that wave. Yeah, you were still flying from that solo cup of tea you had at the interval. But yeah, we'll put that yeah. picture on Instagram. It's very much, very, very yeah. enjoyable. Um, so uh, shall we bring on Alistair Campbell? He's got a book out. He mentions it. Yes, the very competitive Alistair Campbell. Um, so, what is Alistair Campbell? He's a he's a writer. He's a he was a spin doctor for Tony Blair and the Labour government. Is that spin in doctor the, 90s, the right term? Yeah. Or media advisor. Yeah, I think so. I think political yeah. advisor. Yeah, spin doctor would be the colloquial term, I suppose. And um, now he uh, has a podcast that's not quite as popular as ours called "The Rest <laughs> Is Politics." Um, but he's a very, very interesting man, very funny, and he's got three kids that are all grown up that he talks about. And um, yeah, he gets slightly serious at points, but I think he's very interesting and, and good to talk about it. But very funny man, very interesting man. It's Alistair Campbell. Alistair Campbell, hello. Hello, guys. How are you? Alistair, we thought you were, uh, you like, you seemed a little bit stressed at the start, and we thought it might be that you've got a busy morning because there's loads of like election results coming in and the polls, and you might be like on all the channels everywhere. But it actually turns out you've got a dog in your house that's angry about a dog that lives next door. Is that correct? <laughs> yeah, this is about parenting, this, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. So our daughter, Grace, who is a comedian, Josh is yeah. yeah. And she she lives next door. Because when my mum was still alive, Fiona's mum is still alive as well. She's now 98. And we need a dog now? Yeah. Slightly. <laughs> so, don't, don't worry. It's all colour. It's all colour. So, so we thought, being nice children of a certain generation, that a flat came on the market next door. We said, yeah. get that flat. And then one of our mums can live there whenever they feel like 
Well, my mum died, and in any way she lived up north. Fiona's mum decided living next to us would not be <laughs> compatible with her life. So Grace spotted a gap in the market. <laughs> so anyway, and then Grace decides to get a dog, similar breed to our own. What what breed have you got? Cavalier King Charles. Very, yeah. very topical. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, and... Uh, and then decides to go to America while the dog's on heat. <laughs> We've been dealing with that. And, and our dog, Skye, she's sort of getting used to it. But if she sees the little dog, Eddie, getting, getting within a sort of three-mile radius of her dog bowl. All oh, right. Oh, that's what you're hearing next door. Oh. So they're in there together at the moment in the, like, the house. Well, I'm guessing from the silence now that Fiona's... Picked up on my vibes <laughs> and just separated them. Do you do yeah. a lot? I, I think what, I, people must are very excited to know how Alistair Campbell parents because I'd say you've got a reputation for strong vibes if you want to produce strong vibes. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Um, do you parent like you manage the press corps in 1997? No. No. Probably. Probably too far the other way. Really? You're a softie. So have you got one daughter? Is that just Grace? Is that got a great Grace is the youngest and I've got two you've got two older brothers. And what ages are they? Rory is thirty five and Callum's thirty three and Grace is twenty nine last week. Right, okay. Oh. So busy house, three of them. No, well it was a busy house, but I think I think the reason why I probably am a bit I can be I can be very tough, but they've got to push me a long, long way before that happens. Yeah. Uh, a long way, and I think actually, the partly we are quite liberal in our views of, of sort of stuff like parenting, but we are also. I, I think there's a lot of guilt going on in me that the fact that and Grace does this a lot of her comedy gets into this thing about you know absent parents and the daddy yeah. was never there and a daddy loved Tony Blair more than he loved me and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think that maybe makes us makes us a bit softer than we otherwise would be and probably should be. So, because you were at the point of their child, like the say ninety seven to whatever two thousand and three or whatever were the key moments when you were really busy. Well, no, the, I started with nineteen ninety four in opposition, and, and Grace had literally just been born. Right. Wow. Uh, Rory was at school. Callum was just starting school. And Grace wasn't even born when when uh, was Grace born when John Smith died? Yeah, she'd just been born. So a bit like the our age of our kids now, Josh. That you yeah. know, you, I've got a five year old and a seven year old, and Josh has got younger younger ones. But it's sort of like the peak bit of their childhood was, was when your career was going stratospheric, really, wasn't it? See, it's interesting how you you count them that way from the mm. young to the older. Yeah, yeah. interesting. Does, does the older child does the older child resent the, the fact that the five year old is your favourite? Is that is that, <laughs> <laughs> is that how you deal with a difficult question to put it back on other people? Alex? No, what I do is I say five and seven because it, then I'm, I'm highlighting I've got a younger one rather than so it looks like it's still hard because you worry <laughs> when you do a parenting podcast you go yeah because you know it's like when they're you know, 15 and 18 and you go I've not actually seen them for a <laughs> <laughs> that is quite hardcore bits of parenting because when they're really young and babies it's hard but they don't know you're not there but when they are 5, 6, 7 and 8 that around that age and you are sort of working I imagine the hours you were doing in that period were non-stop because you were working so much do you think there's a bit of guilt there now they're older that you were 
not there as much. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. I don't let it get to me that much. I think I think it gets to Fiona more. I think she. And look, the truth is, I did. She did pick up pick up a lot of the pieces, and she was doing the job as well. She tells this terrible story about me. <laughs> it really is terrible. You're not going to like this, I don't think. You're not going to think I'm a good person. Um, oh, but, a lot of people don't anyway, so that's fine. Yeah, but you don't, Josh. I know. I mean, know you think I'm absolutely marvellous. I so, so, I mean, I made you what you are by giving you your best element on that yes, the- programme you do. We don't need to talk about that. Um, but just those people who do watch your programme ought to know that when they do that bullshit buzzer thing, yeah. that was my idea. I didn't get a single penny for it. I get no thanks for it, no credit. What's, what's this buzzer thing? There's a bullshit button on the last leg that Hillsy right, presses okay. that says bullshit. And when we were interviewing Nick Clegg uh, all those years ago when he was the Deputy Prime Minister, wasn't he? Um, <laughs> we, we had you on to teach Alex how to do a political interview. And you said you should do a button that says bullshit. And that was your idea, but our idea was to run with that increasingly thin joke for eight more years. <laughs> <laughs> and the commitment to that is quite impressive, isn't it? Yeah, but the thing is, so they, they benefited hugely financially and culturally from an idea for which they've literally never paid me a penny. You are good at spin because I didn't even know that button fucking exists and I'm in the industry. <laughs> anyway, so this okay, is a terrible on. story. So what happened was this, that John Smith, the Labour leader, died in May 1994. Tony yeah. Blair became Labour leader in the election that followed it. And then he asked me to work for him, and I said no, initially. And the reason I said no, lots of reasons, but one of them was Fiona didn't want me to do it, my parents didn't want me to do it, two young ki- two young boys and a mm. daughter who's just been born, doing pretty well in journalism, just got my life together after a breakdown, all this sort of stuff going on. And... Anyway, Tony, and he, he sort of thought he's going to work on me. So he and Cherie and the kids, they literally just turned up on holiday where we were. Oh, wow. Like Alex Ferguson would. A bit like that, a bit <laughs> like that. And, 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 and also, we were on holiday with Neil and Glenn. I am not don't want to make this like sound like a Labour Party soap opera, but we were on holiday with Neil and Glenn Kinnock. <laughs> where was, where almost, was you? We were in France, right. and Neil was also trying to talk me out. Fucking love Europe that lot, didn't they? Don't be right with yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's the what is it? We go the, that's the longest I've gone all day without mentioning Brexit. <laughs> so Tony Tony talks me into it, and he then goes off. I then now I've decided I'm going to do it. Mm. I'm, I'm just in the zone already, and I want to get back to start working and planning. So I say, look, I'm going to go back a few days early. Oh. Um, I know this is ter- it gets worse. It gets worse. So. <laughs> I don't particularly want to take a train and I don't want to fly, so I'm going to take the car. I think you should get a hire car for the rest of the holiday. <laughs> so I drove the owner of the kids to this hire car place. Yeah. But it wasn't open. It wasn't open yet. But I was in a hurry. So oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, the... Terrible. terrible. So you left her and the kids at the hire car place to wait for it to open and then you drove back to go to work? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. you won the election <laughs> <laughs> with, with 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 Josh the kind of landslide that political parties have dreamt of. <laughs> <laughs> and what's yeah. more, on the day on the day 
here's here's another so there's some good name dropping coming up yeah on the day that we won the election tony and sheree had to go to the palace to see the queen yeah. So that's how it works. And I, I'll try and educate you as we go. That's how it works. I've, I've seen the Michael Sheen movie. I've seen the Michael okay. Sheen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he and and Jonathan Powell and I were in the were in the car behind behind the cops. So we get we get to the palace and we get siphoned off into this sort of side room and all the sort of palace courtiers are there and we're talking to them while Tony and Sheree go off to see the Queen. And um, I'm talking to Robin Janvin, who's the Queen's private secretary, and he's looking over my shoulder because the telly's on behind me. And um, he says, oh, look at those. They're they're reporting live from Downing Street. And Robin goes, oh, lovely children. And I turn around, it's my kids on the telly. (laughs) (laughs) I say, oh, oh, cool, yeah, look, I haven't seen the (laughs) bridges. There's Grace with a little flag and oh, the boys. What? How was Tony Blair with the kids? Was he good? Oh yeah, oh yeah, 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 yeah. It still is actually, still is. Yeah. In fact, Grace does this hilarious um, act where she she got when she first started started to do comedy, she was doing a a, a gig in London somewhere, and um, she mentioned that I was her dad, a woman in the audience went absolutely berserk. They started shouting at her and your dad's a war criminal and da, 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 and then stormed the stage. Oh, my word. Right. So anyway, they they took her off. So she phoned me up and she told me what happened. She sounded a little bit shaken up about it. The next day I was with Tony, right? So I was telling her about it. And he said, oh, that's terrible. That's so bad. And that's all because of me, really. It's not because of you. It's because of me. And he felt quite bad about it. At which point Grace phoned me just for a chat. So I said, how are you feeling? Oh, not bad. Yeah, it's fine. I mean, who cares in the end? Silly old cow, blah, blah, blah. She's very good like that. She's very good at in my new book, which we have not even we are, mentioned. We do, that. Uh, we we'll do it in the middle. I knew that was going to We do it in the middle. I've, I've invented a new word called perseverance, and Grace is very perseverant. She perseveres and she's resilient. So she bounced back. So I said, well, listen, I'm actually with the guy whose fault it was. Do you want to have a quick chat with him? <laughs> so I'll put him on, and Tony just did this. Oh, Grace, I'm so sorry. It's horrible for that to happen. And it's, you know, it's not it's not your fault. It's not your dad's fault. It's really about me, isn't it? And so then she tells this story and she says, so I, uniquely in the world, am the one person to whom Tony Blair has apologised for the Iraq war. <laughs> <laughs> so get good out of bad, we say. And you're, you, you come across as so proud, right, when you talk about your daughter being a comedian is that not stressful i'd i'd say it and i think you'd agree with me on this rob i'd find it incredibly stressful to have a daughter or son as a comedian well yeah but i think alistair had a slightly different difficult stressful job to us <laughs> where yeah. in the grand scheme of things <laughs> yeah. running an election campaign isn't as you know no, it's i think a, i think it no i'm proud of all of them i think that you know uh, my, my son my son callum the thing i'm proudest of him about is the fact that he uh He's a recovering alcoholic. He was, you know, he's not had a drink for 11 years. And I, <laughs> that makes me feel proud about him. And yeah. likewise, our old boy, Rory, just, you know, one of the cleverest kids you could meet. And so I am proud of them. The thing with watching Grace, a comedy, no, it's difficult, to be honest. It is difficult. And she does want, she wants our approval a lot. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but she, she wants us to go to her shows um, a lot. The first one that she, the first time she was did the Edinburgh Festival, a lot. It was actually called "Why I Will Never Go Into Politics." So it was about a lot of it was about growing up with me as her dad. And she says, 
just go at the back and don't let anybody see. I want you to be there, but go in the back. But it was one of these events where you sat at the back, but then everybody had to go past you to get into their seats. <laughs> so I'm sitting at the back and everybody sees me. And, and it, she then, once she gets onto all the stuff she does about sex, which is quite sort of difficult and challenging for a dad, they would laugh. And then I started to notice that quite a, about a good third of them would look round at me first before they laughed. <sighs> So she'd do her start stuff. They'd look like, if I was laughing, they'd feel, oh, it's okay to laugh. Yeah. yeah. Oh. They were sort of feeling my pain, I think. <laughs> What's it like to hear her talk about sex? Because she's very open. Oh, it's quite difficult, to be honest. I mean, she talks about stuff that I wouldn't talk about to my best mate. Yeah. <laughs> but on stage in front of hundreds of people. She, there's this bit where, I mean, I don't even, I don't even know if I can bring myself to describe it. She's basically... <laughs> She's giving a blowjob to a microphone <laughs> on the stage and, and, and people are laughing a lot. I'll tell you what I do. I put myself in this thing where I really enjoy the fact that people are laughing and I look at them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I look at them laughing. I think, Isn't it great? They're laughing at and And I sometimes do. When she does stuff, I, I sometimes think I, I pretend it's somebody else. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, um, I think in a in a way though, I think w w all comedians when you first break through, unless you're a character act, you the whole thing is introducing yourself to the world of comedy and go, "Hello, this is me. This is who I am." All my stuff was dominated by class and what my parents did and said. And yeah. you know, her dad happens to be someone who's very well known, so she has to address that, or otherwise it's weird if she doesn't. And yeah. then the, the shock stuff is probably coming through because that's what's more shocking than your dad being Alistair Campbell is to do stuff about sex and blowjobs because that sort of goes, who cares about what your dad is if that's yeah. the shocking yeah. material? Yeah. However, yeah. I imagine over time, she, as all comics grow and develop, you find your voice and different things you want to talk about and all comics then end up just doing satirical stuff because you sort of get slightly bored about talking about yourself. You just talk about your view on things. Yeah, well, that's that, I think that's what's, that's really interesting because I think that's what's happening. That's what's happening. So the last show I went to was the Ali Pali a few weeks ago. And it was, it, listen, it was very, very funny and she got a standing ovation and, and what have you. But actually afterwards speaking to people, Tessa Jowell's daughter, Jess, was there and she said, you know what, that was one of the most impressive feminist arguments I've ever seen. And it was really, when you boiled it down, it was like, it was a show about feminism, but it was just incredibly funny. Yeah. And I think that's where she's moving. She's moving to a different space where she won't... Would you would you tell her if she had a bad gig? I'd tell her if she wasn't as good as I expected her to be, yeah. Would you? But she gets quite upset with that. Really? <laughs> yeah. But she knows, deep down she knows. I mean, look, I've, I've never seen her had a really bad one, ever. But I've seen sometimes, because, you know, when you see, particularly when, like, when she was doing the Edinburgh show, she was going around little places in London and trying out material yeah, and stuff, yeah. and I'd go along. And, I, and look, I, I help her with stuff. She tries out all her stuff on me. I I go and watch it. I tell her where I think she could tighten things up or deliver things better. I give her some, you know, she denies this, but I give her some pretty good material. <laughs> We, let's let's do let's do your book now as well at this point before oh, we get wow. back into parenting because you're, you're only in here using us and our listeners and our views. I know what you're <laughs> yeah, like. You're very competitive. You're trying to be getting me on since week one, haven't you? I'm just going to read you the text. No, it, only because Josh loves you. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm quite chilled out about it. But you're okay. you're he's a proper fan girl. But right, I'm going to read you what you said. Uh, I said, "Hi, Mister C. It feels like it's been too long before I see the end." Mister C, you fucking loser. <laughs> <laughs> that is lame, isn't it? 
<laughs> Sorry it's been a long time, but my tongue's firmly up your ass, so it's very difficult to uh, text. <laughs> Mr. C. Fuck Carry it. on. Sorry. Would you like to come on the most popular podcast in the country? We would love to have you on Parenting Hour. I said I already present it. <laughs> no, you don't. No, you... In what way are you put... In what way would you usefully promote my book out in May? <laughs> that was your response. <laughs> and then you've put... That's fair enough. Uh, uh, could we do it around book time May, or are you desperate to have me on to give you a bit of a boost? <laughs> <laughs> So you've got a book right, out. So you've read my emails, Josh, but have you read the book? But you don't bother reading the I've book. read, so we got sent the book 48 hours ago. So I've, I oh, haven't okay. read the full thing, but no. I'm enjoying it. And I've scanned Good. through, so I haven't just read the start. I've, I've read your book, Winners. I've read that one Good as man. well. But um, I've not read this one. Josh does the reading. I, I, just pick up the, I just pick up the banter if it gets a bit awkward or quiet. That's how we separate it. I don't <laughs> I know just how call you do people it. Mr. C and then Rob actually is... <laughs> <laughs> this is this is this is a good delineation of roles, I would say. Exactly, yeah. you know. Um, yeah. But it's called "Why Politics Has Gone So Wrong" and how um, no, you can help fix it. No, that's the subtitle. Don't get it right. That's the subtitle. But what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? So what can I do? Here we go. Here we go. But what can I do? Well, do you tell us, Alistair? What was, can I do? It was it was nineteen minutes in before he got a bit testy. I thought I, that, I think we've done well there. Right? Yeah. Well, yeah, because you know sometimes you feel like politics can be a bit elitist, and if you don't know everything about it and you do something wrong, you can be laughed at. So thanks for telling me I read the title a bit wrong. That's really helping me get into the world of politics. Uh. <laughs> yeah, so what you can do? I tell you, the point that we can all do something is the point. Yeah. I, I think what I tried to do is debunk this idea that one, politicians are all the same. No, they're not. They're very, very different. And who's in power really, really matters. Two, that nothing ever changes. Change is happening so fast. And the question is, do you want to be part of it or do you want to just happen to you? And the third is that people can't make a difference on their own. People can make a difference. So I'm not saying read my book and you can become prime minister. I am saying that if you're really pissed off with the way the world is and the way politics is, don't just moan about it. Don't just tweet. Get Mm. engaged, get active and and start doing stuff. And I try to, you know, so I explain, I try to analyse what's gone wrong with our politics, which I think a lot of it is down to populism and polarisation. So just to to unpack those terms for people, polarisation is like the two extremes, right? Well, they're very related. They're very, in fact, there's this guy, Moises Naim, who's a Venezuelan, brilliant writer and used to be a politician. And he he calls, he's got this this title called 3P Autocrats, Populism, Polarisation, Post-Truth. So Trump, Johnson, Putin, Orban, Erdogan, Modi, there's a lot of them. Populism is basically where you divide your electorate into an elite, bad, boo, and the pure people, good. And the populist politician, even though they come from the elite, like Johnson and Trump, they tell the pure people that they are the only people who really understand them. And they say to them that if it wasn't for this wretched elite over here who are doing you in because they're looking after everything for themselves, your lives would be much better. Yeah. So Brexit absolutely was populist polarising and post-truth. Polarisation is where you divide people rather than bring together. You, you have, instead of seeing politics as the means to solve problems, you use it to exploit problems. So, for example, Trump build a wall. Why? Because, you know, Mexicans 
are bad. Uh, Suella Braverman send people to Rwanda. Why? Because that's a way of I can say to people who are probably never going to meet a refugee, you are good, refugees are bad. I'm standing up for you against an elite, people like me, people like you probably, who actually think it's no bad thing that we're nice to people who are fleeing war and famine and persecution, etc. And then post-truth is not just about lying, it's about deliberately distorting the realities in the world. So, for example, recent one, how many times have you heard recently we've got 20,000 more police officers? Well, actually, no, you haven't. But you have a debate about that rather than actually the state of crime. Uh, Post-truth is Vladimir Putin saying that we haven't invaded Ukraine, we've got a special military operation because the Nazis are taking over. Post-truth is virtually anything that comes out of Donald Trump's mouth. Post-truth is is, is Boris Johnson saying, you know, a border will be built in the Irish Sea, will go down the Irish Sea over my dead body. Post-truth is Boris Johnson and Dominic Cummings saying, vote Brexit and you're going to get £350 million for the National Health Service, and we're going to stay in the single market, and we're going to stay in the customs union. And then we come out of those things and we don't get the money for the health service. They say, well, that was not what it was ever about. It's about a new set of lies that we're going to tell you. Right. Have you met um, Putin? I have, yeah. What was he like? Quite a few times. Well, I met him, I've not met him probably since, I don't know, 2003. So that's what, 20 years. Has he got kids? And has he got a book out that you might want to... I'll find out. He has got kids. And I'll tell you what, I'll tell you, as we're talking about parenting, my kids have met his kids. Have they? You've had a play date with Vladimir Putin. (laughs) It gets worse. They've actually been on the London Eye with his kids. And this was only last week. (laughs) (laughs) They've been on the London Eye with Vladimir Putin's kids. Yeah. um, Yeah, so what was he like? He was... He was very, very different to what he is now in some ways, but you can see that he's still the same person. And I think the truth is that we we, we slightly fell for this idea because we wanted him to be different and because he knew that we wanted him to be different. I think he came across as being different. But I think that where he's changed, I think he genuinely was trying to sort of be more oriented towards the West, to internationalism and so forth. But then I think he went through a corrupt phase then I think he realised that reform is very, very difficult without being autocrat in his country, and and he changed. And you know, one of the you obviously thanks for reading winners, but if you'd read my diaries, you'd know that I've met Vladimir Putin many times. I'm not reading your diaries, Alistair. I haven't got that much time, Mister C. Come on. Okay. <laughs> and if he's not reading them, who is? Because he's like number one fan, old Mister C over there. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's if my number one fan's not reading, that's a bit harsh. Yeah, but there's, there's one of the most, one of the most, and one of the most dramatic moments of the whole many dramatic moments I lived through with Tony was actually when we got in. Tony got invited out to see Putin. It is one of his many many datchers. I don't even know where it is because we flew to wherever we flew to. We were picked up by a helicopter. We were flown to this place in the middle of nowhere. And we had this this lunch or dinner with with Putin, who proceeded to I can't even describe it. Just it was like I actually said in the diary that it reminded me of Fiona when she's really, really at the end of her tether with me. And there's nothing I say, nothing I can say that doesn't just make her even more angry. <laughs> and the uh, and Putin was like that with Tony. 
And it was about Iraq. It was about our relationship with America. As we came out, I remember David Manning, who was Tony's main foreign policy advisor, and he said, I've never, ever, ever seen anything like that in my life. And that was when we knew he'd completely... And maybe that was always the real him. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. With, like, the stuff you were doing and, like, you're in, like, having a meeting with Putin and all this when you was in power with Labour... You, how are you dealing with looking after the kids when you get home? How do you switch off from that? Or are you still on the phone the whole time and you're, like, you're trying to go to a kid's party and then you're getting phone calls? And obviously you have to take the phone calls. It doesn't stop. It's 24-7. How do you, how do you juggle that? You said before, like, you come off the back of having a breakdown and things like that. How do you manage that stress? Probably not very well, to be honest. Um, look, I did, I did my best. What I'd say, I think my kids would accept that I did my best in that. And Fiona would accept I did my best in that Apart from the job, Burnley games when I could, <laughs> a bit of running and my bagpipes, I didn't do anything else in my life. I didn't expect the bagpipes. <laughs> I didn't expect you had time to do bagpipes and Burnley home games in that period of uh, the nineties. Burnley weren't even that good. But this is the thing about this is the thing about here's a good one for you for your parenting thing. <laughs> Both my boys really like football. Yeah. And my yeah. oldest boy, he, he works in football and, and Callum works with him sometimes at, at weekends and stuff. So I would drive them. Right. So you're with them. To yeah. Burnley games. Oh, and yeah. I would think, aren't I a good dad? I'm taking them to Burnley game when I've got one of the busiest jobs in the country. This was before we brought in the law about using your mobile phone in the car. Yeah. Right. Caveat. <laughs> I remember my Callum when he was in the throes of his, his alcoholism and we had to, you know, he was in rehab and all that and we'd talk to people. And I remember sort of him making this observation that it was quite weird at times. And he mentioned, you know, like, you know, we'd go to Burnley, he'd be driving for four hours, but he'd be on the phone all the time. Yeah. Oh, God. Um, and so, and I think the other thing that, I think Callum always found it quite difficult when we were out and about is how many people just wanted to talk to me all the time. You know, you yeah. just out about it. Oh, let's go and have a chat. I'll tell him what I think about, you know, the health service. Or and So I think I, try, I think I tried my best. I think I was good. With, I was very good with the kids as babies. I was, I like, I loved being with them. I tried to spend as much time with them as I could. But you're kidding yourself if you're doing those sorts of jobs. I've got a very funny picture upstairs of, um, of Grace... Me trying to feed some something to Grace when she's a baby, <laughs> while I'm watching Tony Blair on television, <laughs> and, and Fiona took the picture. Just, she obviously just decided it, it was like so. I've, I've sort of tried to give Grace proper attention, yeah. but Tony's doing an interview, and I'm keeping tabs. It's mad though because it's a weird balance. Because if you want that kind of career or that kind of job, and that's what you've always wanted to do, and you enjoy it, there are some jobs where you it does you can't balance it all. There isn't that work life balance, and it's people trying to work out you know how to do that without feeling guilty either way and stuff like that, and how to, how to balance it because there isn't a right or wrong where you should just be at home with your kids all the time, or you should be able to do it fifty fifty, or you know everyone's allowed to decide how they want to live their life without sort of judgment that's that's true but i but i, I do i did I, I can remember once going we're, we live in the same house as i lived when we were back then and i can remember one morning i can't remember what the situation was but there's something going on at work that was like massive and fiona and i had a bit of a barney about something or other and two of the kids were sort of letting off and you know it was all really kind of morning stressful all that stuff but i had to go out i had to go out and 
I can remember walking out the door thinking, feeling really, really bad and then getting to the end of the road and saying to myself, I've got to try not to think about it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it's hard. It's hard. And, you know, you do, no matter how much you sort of tell yourself you tried your best, you know it's not good enough deep down. Yeah. I can look at myself and say I was a better parent than a lot of parents were, but I, I wasn't as good as a parent as I could have been, I don't think. You've talked a lot about like, well, you've mentioned a couple of times like your son's alcoholism and you used to stop drinking as well, didn't you, when you had in the... I stopped for 13 years. I do have a, uh, the odd drink. I, I think I'm an addict right. and I was I was addicted to alcohol, whereas I think Callum is a full-on alcoholic, as it were, um, and deals with it really, really well now. How do you deal with that as a parent? Very, very hard. Very, very, very hard. Worse, and when I was sort of, you know, getting in the grip of alcohol... The thing is, when you're the person, you sort of, you, you, you feel, you know you're out of control, but you sort of feel you're in control. Um, and I was a functioning, I was functioning perfectly well. I was actually, one of the reasons I had the breakdown was because I was, I was like high flying. I, I was being promoted and high headhunted for new jobs. And I think it was in that culture in the media where, you know, you were considered a bit weird if you weren't a heavy drinker. Yeah. Um, and I got... So, so, and, and I came through it, I, I, whether I would have done it if I hadn't been, I was arrested, which was probably a good thing. And I ended up in hospital, which was a good thing. Fiona stood by me, which was the most important thing. I went back to do my old job. So I sort of work, worked it out. I never really got to the bottom of it. And I think my thing, I think I've been drinking to deal with a depression that I wasn't even acknowledging. Whereas I think with Callum, it just became a kind of, you know, and you felt, you just feel utterly powerless, you know, and um, you know it's happening. Uh, you can see it's happening, but you just can't do anything about it. And I'll tell you, you know, and one of the worst things, worst moments of my life, bar none, was when I, I, I was, I don't see him so much now because I'm in quite good shape at the moment, but I, for a while I was seeing my psychiatrist like regularly. And while this was all going on, I was explaining the background and what was happening and what have you. And he said, well, I think you're just being too... You're being too soft. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, you you really do have to show tough love. You cannot say to him, you can't live here. You can't come back. If you come back drunk, we're not letting you in. You can't say that. And then when it happens, you let them in. Yeah. And, you know, you can't say if we find that you're stealing money from us, you know, we're going to, you can't say that and then not follow through on it. And so one night, um, and it was in freezing cold, two, three in the morning or something, we're lying in bed, doorbell goes, Callum's at the door, uh, he's, I don't know, he's lost his wallet or he's lost his keys or some bloody thing. And I just said to him, look, you know the deal, you're not coming in. And I shut the door. Oh my God. And I just sort of, and I, I literally, I leant against the door and I, I did that thing that you see in films, you know, where you literally slide down the door and I was like, banging my head against my knees and you spend the whole night thinking you know what if he falls in the canal what if he does this what if he does that he can't remember it it's interesting wow uh, wow yeah. god um but anyway eventually then then eventually we reached a point where he agreed well he went into rehab once and that didn't work uh that was a place in ireland which was very nice but it just you know sometimes these things just don't work and then, you know, he he, he he carried on. Things were getting worse. And then eventually he went to this place in Scotland. And he hasn't had a drink since. Oh, amazing. That's amazing. Mm. That must be, that's such a thing to go through as a family. 
Yeah, it was hard. It was really, it was, it was, it was, it was really hard, really hard. And I can remember one night lying in bed and we, we just weren't sleeping, you know, you just worry about it all the time. I remember Fiona saying, you know, we're going to have to harden ourselves. So what do you mean? He said, well, you know, we are probably are going to get a knock on the door and he's going to be dead. Jesus wept. I hadn't really confronted that at all. God. Yeah. God, yeah, it's amazing. You know, like you say, you, no wonder you're proud of him to sort of, you know, go through that and then 11 years later, still yeah. still being sober. But And still be, and he's very active in AA and he sort of, you know, he's he's very kind of community-minded and he's always on the lookout for other people and, and stuff like that. Unlike me, I don't go in, I can't go in pubs. I hate going in pubs. Oh, really? Yeah, and, I, I, and although I, I do have the odd glass of wine now I've I've never drunk beer or whiskey since 1986 oh really <laughs> yeah they were like my things and, and I used to drink you know beer until I got pissed and then I drank whiskey yeah that's proper like media in the 90s kind of drinking yeah. isn't it? and I can't I can't even I can't even be near whiskey now I can't smell it I can't look at it I can't so and going in pubs there's well partly there's the whole thing about you know, oh, there's Alistair Campbell. Let's go and have a go. There's yeah, a bit of, of that. Yeah. Um, most most people are incredibly nice, but it just needs one. Yeah. Um, and and but the other thing is, I just don't, I don't, I don't like the atmosphere in pubs because I don't relate it to having a nice time. I relate it to how did I used to spend so hours every day? Yeah, because you're just an escape, wasn't it? You'd just be in there drinking to forget and then ploughing on totally. the next day. Totally. Whereas Callum will go in pubs to watch football with his mates. Right. You know. He should get Sky. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, I wanted to talk about your competitiveness as well, because you, 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 I heard you on the Chatterbix podcast. That, describe, have you got ultra, is it ultra competitiveness or something? Maladaptive competitiveness. That's the one. Yeah. yeah. Where it's sort of like all consuming. And is that, as you're getting older, is that coming down a bit or are you no. still really... Um, I think it's getting worse, actually. So it's like yesterday I was I was doing James O'Brien's podcast, and um, because he's 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 on my Mister C list, obviously. <laughs> oh, Mister C, can you come and talk to about the, the news? <laughs> his studio, his studio is next to the studio that the news agents are in. John Sopel, Emily Mills, and Neil Lewis Goodall. Who laughably, who laughably present themselves as the rivals to the rest of politics, even though we're number one month after month after month after month. And I couldn't, I just, I was, I was pathetic. I was like, you know, oh, it must be so hard for you. You work so hard. You do this five days a week and we troll out with a couple of episodes a week and we beat you every week. It must be so hard. <laughs> so yeah, I'm, I am very maladaptive. Fiona, it drives her mad. It drives her absolutely mad. I do, I do it in every. I do it in tiny, tiny, ridiculous things. Does it make you unhappy if you lose them? Like that, I'd find that is like I was really competitive as a kid, and I really tried to kind of deal with it because I found it it wasn't really a route to being very happy. Yeah, I think. Well, no, it, it's not. Well, it depends what you define as happiness. It's mm. not a route to lots of happiness in the moment because you can set yourself a lot up for lots of failure. But if I think, for example, people say the diaries that you haven't read, <laughs> a lot of people who read them, real Mr. C fans, yeah. <laughs> they, will, they, they will say to me, I get the feeling you weren't very happy a lot of the time. And I say, well, I wasn't happy a lot of the time because it was pressured and all that. But I'm very, very, very happy that I did it. Right, yeah. And right. that to me is what happiness is about. It's like me and Fiona. I mean, I've mentioned Fiona. We've had quite a few ups and downs and, you know, times when I've been impossible to live with. But the thing that makes me happiest of all in life 
is that she has stuck with me for 42 years when I know a lot of women wouldn't. Yeah. Yeah. That is happiness to me, even though we've had a lot of, and we have a lot, we've, we've had loads of great times along the way, but we've had some really bad times and it's like, but I'm so happy that we've kind of got through that. And that's, that's happiness to me. Um, it's like, you know, with, at the moment I get, you know, part of sort of like a joking aside about the, the, the podcast thing. If I'm going to, if I'm going to devote some time and energy to something, I want it to have, I want it to work. I want it to be good. Yeah. yeah. I want it, and, and, and if you measure that by, you know, and to be honest, when we started, I had no idea it would be as big as it's become. Yeah. The idea that it would be the most listened to podcast in the UK would be a ridiculous idea. But once it happened, I'm right, right, I'm on it now. <laughs> this is going to stay this way. <laughs> yeah, obviously, you want your children to be happy. If your child comes to you and says... How dare you assume that? <laughs> <laughs> your child comes to you and says, I'm the happiest I've ever been and I'm standing as a Conservative MP for the next election. How do you feel? Well, I feel happy because I know that's not going to happen. No, yeah. <laughs> no, but it, it has happened it now. Has happened. In, yeah. I find it difficult. Um, if they're in your constituency, would you vote for them? <laughs> I find it hard. I'd probably tell them that I voted for them. <laughs> Forget your ID. I forgot my ID. No, shit, I forgot my ID. If it was if it was a tight marginal, it'd be tough. No, I, I'd, I would find that. Look, although I say in the book, which you clearly don't want to We're talk about. We're talking about it now. I, I was going to talk about it. I, I, I do say, though, that there's this survey about the numbers in America now of people who say that they would be really unhappy if their children married somebody who was not of their political party. It's gone through the roof. Oh, really? I guess a, a more realistic question, what would happen if they came back with somebody who was a Tory mm. and said, you know, this is the person with whom your first grandchild is going to be made? I said, what, you mean they're going to have 50% Tory blood? I mean, you know, that's quite hard, isn't it? No, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> I wouldn't say that. But I'd... But I'd um, but again, I'm not sure that would that would happen necessarily. I don't know. Oh, I, I hope know. it does now. With your competitive thing, were you are you playing a child at snakes and ladders, or you're playing a child your child at I don't know snooker or about pool or whatever? Were you all right to throw a game, or did you want to beat them? I, I was all right to throw a game up to the point where they might be able to beat me. Yeah. If it was actually, I, mean, I do remember the time at which I actually started to realise that when we were out just kicking a ball about, they were better than me. Yeah. That was quite a bad moment. <laughs> well, coming back to your book, But What Can I Do?, which is released on the 11th of May, have you looked at who else is releasing a book that week? And one, are you competitive and want to beat them to get in number one? Two, do you not even want to mention their name now because you will be giving them some free press? <laughs> I, I, haven't, I haven't looked. I haven't looked. Do you want me to but look? Would I... <laughs> It's pretty hard to get to number one. Not for well, us. Not for us. I imagine if you've got a, a really big podcast, it'll be really easy, but maybe your numbers are lying. <laughs> I'm just saying that we went to number one in the Sunday Times bestsellers in the most competitive week, October, because we don't release a book in May, like some sort of you know, easy win to get in the charts. Um, oh, I know. <laughs> okay, well, look, 
I'll tell you what we'll do. Let's, I, I haven't got another book in the pipeline, but yeah. I'm going to put another book in the pipeline. And can we agree that we publish it in the same what, way? What, like Blur and Oasis? Yeah, not a problem. I can't, <laughs> can we do yeah. that? I can't do one this year. I'm off this year because we've, we've both had two Sunday the time bestsellers two years in a row. But um, maybe give us, a, give us a year off and let the other guys get a few books sold. Then we'll, we'll bang one out next year if you're up for it. <laughs> Cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, the answer is I haven't checked who's got books out, but I do want. I would. I would like to get to number one. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm sure you will. Um, but yeah, I've got high hopes for this one. High yeah. hopes. Oh well, good luck and uh, thank you. Thanks for coming. Oh, the final question as yeah, well. We need to do, Josh. Yeah, let, me, let, let Mr. W have the final question. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I nearly forgot about that. Thank you very much, Mr. C. <laughs> Um, so, oh my word! The, the, oh. Uh, sorry, I just clicked. He is on. really. He actually is a bit of a fan, like proper fanboy of yours, and he's getting a bit flappy, which I'm quite I enjoying. Just, I just enjoyed 1997 so much. Um, but anyway, <laughs> I'm just a fan of the 90s. I'd be the same if it was, you know, Peter Andre. Peter Andre. I was the same with Peter Andre, or Mr. A, as I call him. But, um, but, you would, but you wouldn't have had the you wouldn't have had the nineties if we hadn't won. It wouldn't have been like it was. No, mm. exactly, exactly. Well, you know, because politics does make a difference. It's one of the key themes to my book. But what can I do? And the answer is, we've all got to do we can, what we, whatever we can do. So I think if you love nineteen ninety seven, Josh, as you take your best selling book and your number sort of five six most popular podcast in the country <laughs> out on the road. <laughs> Do at least have some sort of political yeah. messaging at the heart. Yeah, we have it. done that. We went. We just start, sold out an arena tour. Where, where are you playing your live shows, Alistair? We did the Albert Hall. Oh, okay. Palladium sold out twice in seven minutes. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Harrogate next week. Harrogate. Have they got an arena there? They got a big theatre. <laughs> <laughs> just trying to see how competitive you are let's do the final question the final question uh is always the same it's about fiona which That's is a bloody hour there's my clock going it's been an hour this yeah, yeah. well you were two minutes late so i'm sure you can cope you've only had that's because of the dog which you said was a great owner <laughs> final, final question. question uh what one thing does fiona do that makes you think you are an incredible parent i'm so lucky to be with you and what one piece of parenting does she do that annoys you, but you haven't had the guts to tell her. But were she to listen to this, this is your chance to communicate it. She absolutely... It, it actually is the same thing in answer to both of the questions. OK. Is that because you're short on time, or is it the truth? <laughs> no. No, no, no. Right. <laughs> she absolutely, almost 24 hours a day, will be thinking, in addition to issues and challenges and problems that she might face about stuff that the kids might be able to deal with mm -hmm. yeah. and we'll fix them if she can. Yeah. So for example, Rory at the moment is away in Europe and Fiona's just gone round to get the plumbing sorted. Right. I wouldn't do that. <laughs> uh, the dog, the dog. How many how many parents yeah. would take a dog on heat? Yeah. Right? Have you tried going for a walk with a dog on heat? I haven't, no. I'll be honest, I haven't. Oh, no. And so, yeah, so she does absolutely everything for them. And and so that that would also be my criticism. Yeah. Mm. I think sometimes we should we should be less, we should be less kind of hands-on. Right. Yeah. Let yeah. them do it themselves. Yeah. That is... A lovely end. It's been a joy, Alistair. I know you've loved it. Um, yeah, and you've got a book out. Don't call me, Josh. Don't call me, Alistair. Sorry, Mr. C, Mr. C, 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 C
But what can I do out on the 11th of May? Buy the book. Read the book. Cheers, Alistair. Thank you very much. It's been an absolute been a pleasure. pleasure. Good luck with the book. Cheers, mate. Cheers, mate. Bye. Not at all. Love to join you. Mr. C there. Mr. C. <laughs> oh, you little run. <laughs> oh, I can't believe I did that. It's when I'm scared of someone. Also, you were in you you were in control of reading that message. I know. You could have just said Alistair or Mr. Yeah. Campbell, even Mr. Campbell, but Mr. C's worse oh, than Mr. Campbell awful, because yeah. you're trying to not look like you're talking to a teacher. Yeah, I God, he scares me. <laughs> He scares me. He is quite scared. I had a few little jabs at him to see how yeah, he'd Yeah, I thought you, you did well with that. It was great. I loved it. And he took them well. He took them he on took the chin. Well. He took them on the chin. I think, though, that he might have just given, given me a couple of rounds and there was a couple of right hooks coming my way. But, we, you know, I managed to deflect it. But, no, he's great. Yeah. And I think it's interesting that because, obviously, we're, we're parents and it's 2023. Yeah. However, the mid 90s being a parent was a completely different time. He had one of the most stressful jobs in the country that demanded 24/7, you know, working days essentially. And it is very difficult. I think it must be people listening that want a certain career that but there is sacrifice and it's about balancing if that sacrifice is right or not. Yeah. And no one will ever know, you'll never know and everyone's different, but I do I find that really interesting yeah. about the sacrifices people make for their job and their family and what's right, what's not right and what works. But yeah. I, I think the bottom line is you don't ever really know if what you're doing is correct. Correct. Um, anyway, um, thanks for listening and we'll see you Tuesday. Bye. Bye.